We're continuing a teaching series that we kicked off last week, and I just want to forewarn you, this has been a bit of an emotional journey for me personally. Last weekend was so amazing. We have seen a number of people just in the last couple of weeks give their life to Christ. I think it was seven people just at the 1130 service last week. And yeah, and it's really as we discover the truth of Scripture, God's greater plan throughout the Old and New Testament. We see how Jesus is the fulfillment of a lot of what the Israelites have been waiting for for generations. Man, it's, it's life-changing. And I got to pray with people that ran down here and I got to cry with a good friend last week. And I don't normally do that. He didn't normally do that. Uh, receive Christ. I, I saw him walking around here too. I mean, it's just God is on the move. And so if you were new here and you came into the space for the very first time, you felt uncomfortable, uh, Welcome. We started this church for you, man. I really believe that God is with us and present with us, that no one's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church today should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And in some ways, that's the heart of what we're looking at for these seven weeks in this teaching series. As we look at Jesus as the fulfillment of these Jewish festivals from Leviticus 23 that I imagine most of you have never studied or heard about, with the exception maybe for this Weekend. So if you have your Bible and you want to power it on to Leviticus chapter 23, I know you've probably, you're like, Levit- are you serious? Leviticus 23? Go to Leviticus chapter 23. For those that were here last weekend, I would really encourage you, if you weren't, to watch it online. We set the stage for these next six weeks as we study these Jewish festivals with uh, Leviticus chapter 1, making sense of Jesus as the Lamb of God, as the atoning sacrifice for all of our mistakes. Understanding that an offering, uh, animal sacrifice in the Old Testament, that God created a way that anybody could draw near to God. That's just what an offering meant. It was korban. It meant that you could draw near to the perfect God. And because of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, that we can eternally draw near to God. And what I want to share with you this weekend is to take it a step further. As we look at the Passover and festival of unleavened bread. Now, you probably heard of the Passover, you're like, dude, unleavened bread, what are you talking about? You, you ever eaten uh, pita bread before? Yeah, that's, that's unleavened bread. And the idea was that the Israelites would remember that all those years ago, when they had been enslaved for 400 years by the Egyptians, that God heard their cries. He came alongside them, brought the 10 plagues, and the, and the greatest last one was that the firstborn child of anyone who didn't worship the Lord would be lost. And because the Israelites gave an offering and they spread the, the animal's blood over the door, it just represented that they had worshipped God, right? The animal got what we deserve. God doesn't like to harm animals by any means. He had taken a sinful culture and tried to figure out a way that anybody could draw near to him. And the spirit of God passed over those homes. And so God would actually bring freedom and they would be able to leave Egypt where they'd been enslaved for 400 years and eventually they'd get the promised land. Of course, He didn't tell them, like, oh, you're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years, and they didn't have any idea where they were going, and they didn't know anything about the land, and they didn't know how a Red Sea was going to part, and they didn't know that they're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years, and God's going to raise up little Pop-Tarts every morning on the ground called manna that they could eat so they could survive. I didn't tell them any of that stuff. He just says, listen, go, be obedient, I'm going to provide for you. So that the Israelites would not forget, they would not forget what God had done He had these six festivals that we'll look at, and they revolved around the agricultural calendar. 
And the first one was Passover. Next week, we'll look at the festival of first fruits and then the festival of weeks. And those were the spring festivals. And then we get the fall festivals, the three uh, that we will end this series with. And so uh, what I want to remind you today is that the Passover festival in particular was that the bread didn't even have time to rise. They had to leave so quickly. And he wanted them to remember how he had taken care of them, that he was with them, that he heard their cries, that he wanted to fight alongside The Passover and Festival of Unleavened Bread was to remind them of their escape from Egypt. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on now. It says this in Leviticus 23. Sometimes I can't believe we're actually studying Leviticus. Like, it's just kind of fun. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals. You're going to hear that word appointed a lot. God had uniquely designed these for specific times, dates, Even the way that they would celebrate them, there were appointed ways that they were to celebrate them. The appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. These are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You're not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath day of rest. It mentions the Sabbath here, first of all, because that's going to be referred to repeatedly in these festivals. Even though it's not one of the festivals, it's a reminder that every single one of us needs a day of rest once a week. So if you haven't done it, you better do it. It goes on, verse 4. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed time. And here's the first one. The Lord's Passover begins at what time? Twilight. What in the world time is twilight? This is a specific time. It's not when the sun set. This was a specific time to the Jewish community. If you're taking notes, highlight, underline, circle, Evernote it, whatever you're doing, twilight. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's when twilight was. What time was Twilight. Three o'clock in the afternoon, we all tracking? So that every year, on the day of Passover, it would happen at twilight, and that was the first day, the Passover, when they would remember what God had done, and then they would have seven days of this additional festival called the Festival of Unleavened Bread, where the bread didn't have time to rise, and they would remember how God provided for them. Verse 6, on this 15th day of the month, uh, so it was 14th day for when it began, the 15th day of that month, one day later, the Lord's Festival of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days, you must eat bread made without yeast. You ever ate pita bread? Doesn't taste as good. Some of you love it, but not me. I'm, I'm kind of old school. But there's this analogy they're going to use that the yeast that causes the dough to rise represents sin by the New Testament times. And it will refer to it in a verse later on. It goes on and says, verse 7, on the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord, and on the seventh day, hold the sacred assembly, and again, do no regular work. So every year, you and your family would remember this. You would kick it off with this great meal, and at the end of the Passover, you would sacrifice the Passover lamb, and it would kick off these seven days of the festival of unleavened bread that where you would remember that God had taken care of you even when you didn't even have time for the bread to rise. And it gives us some more specifics about how the, the first day, the Passover day, was to be celebrated. There was a sacrifice that would occur, a way to honor an offering to the, so that you could draw near to God. In Exodus 12, verses 1 to 7, I'm going to read it really quickly if you're taking notes. It gives us more of the context of the Old Testament understanding of Passover. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, Each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Again, anybody could give this offering once a year on the day of Passover. 
Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Again, it was the most valuable one. God doesn't want our junk. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until which day? The 14th day. Right? Again, the 14th day, that's when Passover began. I share that because the final week of the series on Palm Sunday weekend, don't miss it. We're going to bring all this together, and these dates become really significant when you look at them in their entirety of all of the festivals in Leviticus 23. He goes on to say, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So at twilight, what time was twilight? Three in the afternoon, the Passover lamb would be slain. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Again, separating the uh, you know, Sunday attenders from the everyday a week followers of Jesus when you have to actually participate in some of that. And it was to remember them of a culture gone by that God provided in any way that you could draw near to him. But here was the big idea. Last week, as I prayed with all kinds of people, man, we had lines coming out the door at some of the services last week, just hearing the stories of what people are going through. And some of you, you have come into this space with some guilt and some shame some baggage from your past. Some of you, you are in the middle of a battle right now. You're struggling raising your kids, struggling with the relationship with your parents. You're struggling with your addictive habit. You're struggling with your workplace and your lack of hope in this life. And you just try and survive and get get through day by day by day. And man, I will tell you, in our fast-paced culture, I have seen how increasingly we as human beings lead isolated lives, hardening ourselves to relationship with other people and also with God. And the big message of Passover and how Jesus will redefine what this means for us today as Christians is that you are never alone in whatever your fight is. That whatever you brought in here, you are never alone again in that fight. Will you pray with me? God, this has been a a great morning so far, and I just want to acknowledge all these people, packed room, people came through the snow uh, this morning to be here in this space. God, as we were worshiping, man, I just, tears almost welled up in my eyes over those last two songs, thinking about what you have done for us, Jesus. And so we begin our time together by acknowledging the presence of your spirit that is in the room with us right now. God, some of us came in here with all kinds of fights in our life, and we need you. We need to feel your presence. Some of us, God, we know we need you, but we can't feel you the way we once did. Sometimes we have those moments, God, and and those are usually the moments where you're carrying us. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that whatever is going on in our lives, you would join with us. We acknowledge you during this time. Speak to our souls. We pray this in your son's precious name and all God's family said. Amen. Amen. There, there is this little tradition in the Hoosman household. It's weird. If we make like bacon and eggs, like one of the three kids might eat it. And I don't know what it is. Uh, they just love toast. Do we have any toast eaters out there? Okay, like five of you. That's great. I, if I go to my kids in the morning, I'm like, hey, you guys hungry? Yeah, you want some bread? They're like, no, that's disgusting. I don't want bread. But if we say, hey, you want some toast? All of a sudden, their, their eyes perk up a little bit. And they get a little excited. And I was talking to my wife about this, about, oh, that almost didn't work. There we go. 
about how toast works. And she's not a scientist, but she explained to me, Josh, when you press the toast down, the heat causes a chemical reaction to the exterior of the slice of bread, and it changes the chemical makeup of that bread. And even though it is still bread, and we all know that, it is forever changed, and it can never go back. And what you find interesting, if you want to get that toast just right, you got to adjust the dial, right? you got to figure out, oh, I wanted a certain amount, uh, just the right appointed time when that thing's going to pop up. And some of you, you get like, you can't wait long enough, so you start turning that dial to the left, and then it pops up, and you're like, oh, that's too burnt, i got to put it back down, and you do it like seven times, don't you? And then some of you, you're like, I want it a little darker, you make it darker, and then it pops up, and it's so roasted, you throw it away, and you go start over. See, I find sometimes when it comes with God, we don't get to choose the day and the time of a lot of things. He was very specific how you celebrate the Passover festival. In fact, it was very specific even when you would sacrifice the Passover lamb. And what Jesus came and what he did changed everything. As we celebrate communion together and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, it actually dates all the way back to the Passover meal that the early Christians were sharing together in the upper room. And that what actually occurred was Jesus redefined, forever changed what those things meant and signified. And you're going to find that to be true with every single one of these festivals. That because of Jesus' sacrifice, he redefines the Passover meal, as we'll see in a second, and he redefines the Passover lamb and what it represented. And it could never go back, and it's a lot better because of it. Do we have any toast eaters that would love some hot toast this morning? I'm dead serious. First one up here, salted bread. Come on up, Tim. Yeah, welcome. There you go, baby. Save the knife. Uh, We're going to use that next service, but eat up. I want to show you the significance of this. I think it's beautiful. I I think when we really understand the depth of Scripture, the the thousands of years of human history of God's plan coming into fruition, it's an amazing, incredible thing. But see, some of us, we think that like the Old Testament was like for the, the Jewish community and the New Testament was for the Christians, and those are two very separate things. No. That's contrary to what Jesus actually taught. He said this in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Talking about the Old Testament, Levitical law that we're reading. He said, I didn't come to abolish that. It's like, we're still doing animal sacrifices? What's going on? No, obviously we don't do any of that. We're under the new covenant. However, what he did was actually, I have not come to abolish them, but what? To fulfill them to fulfill them. He redefined them. He changed them. They were bread, and now they're toast. They're still the same thing, but they're forever changed, and it changes the way that we get to interact with an almighty, all-powerful God, and it's beautiful. If you're taking notes, the first point, I will make two simple points, and then I'm going to give you a point to respond to it, and the first one is this. Jesus redefines the Passover meal. He changes it. Look what happens in the New Testament and the Gospel of Matthew. We're going we're gonna to kind of work through the Gospel of Matthew a little bit together. It says in verse 17 of Matthew 26, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. What was that first day again? The, the Passover is about to occur. And it says, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him the teacher says, or literally the rabbi says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. 
If you're familiar with the story, it's talking about that upper room that they go to and they have the Lord's Supper is what we know that as today. They share in the first communion. But what they were actually doing was going to celebrate the Passover, remembering how God had saved them from Egyptian oppression of 400 years of being enslaved. And Jesus is going to redefine that. He said, I'm not just going to free you from a particular people group. I'm going to free you from the slavery of sin and the enemy. That not only could you have eternal salvation, which you can, but that you can actually experience God in your life right now. Do you realize the good news of Jesus, the gospel, isn't just that you get to go to heaven. That's an amazing part of it. But it's also that whatever you're going through today, he's with you. He's in it. That's why we call it communion because he wants to commune with you. Do you get it? So that when you go into your job and you're having like the worst day ever, he's there with you. When you're struggling with your addictive habit and you feel like it'll never be broken and you give up hope, he's there with you, even when we don't feel it. When I was coaching a fourth grade basketball tournament yesterday and the referees in their blind eyes made a lot of really bad calls, I still got to remember the Lord is with me even in those spaces. No matter where you go, you get to know that God can help you navigate this difficult life to fight the battle that you are faced because he's with you. He redefines the Passover meal. It is no longer just about something that happened many generations ago to the Israelites, but it's for anybody who desires to fully know God and experience him in their life, to be freed in this lifetime. Look, go down to verse 26 in Matthew 26. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, again, unleavened bread, no yeast in it, which represented no sin, is holy. That, that bread was taken, he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup with wine in it, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. The, the bread represented his holy body that was without sin, broken for us. The cup represent his blood that was shed for us. So every time we participate in communion, we're remembering Jesus' sacrifice. Now, if you're new to the New Testament, I don't want to assume anything. This is, a, this is all occurring. The Passover meal is happening on the Thursday. What happens the next day on Friday? If you know the story of the New Testament... It's going to be what we call Good Friday. It's when he's going to be crucified. And we know that on Easter Sunday, he will raise on the third day. But that Friday, he will be crucified. And if you're new to it, how it occurred was they took Jesus. They took these seven strands of leather, and they had shards of bone and rock tied to the ends of them. It was called the cat of nine tails. They actually had nine because seven wouldn't make sense if it was called the cat of nine tails. So they had the nine straps, and they would whip you on the back. Chunks of flesh being ripped from your body. It was thought that you would do 39 lashings because 40 would definitely kill you. Then they took a crown of thorns to mock him as the king of the Jews. They pressed it into his scalp. Then they made him carry essentially a tree trunk, a large cross, a mile up a hill to a place called Golgotha, which means the skull. He would be nailed to the cross. By the way, if you're new to crucifixion, the Romans knew how to torture a human you didn't bleed to death on the cross. You eventually could not hold up the weight of your body as you had a nail going through your two feet and you began to slink down. 
If it didn't happen fast enough, the two robbers on, on Jesus' side, they come and what do they do at the end? They break their legs so they can no longer hold up their weight because then you would slowly die from asphyxiation. As your oxygenation levels go down and your carbon dioxide levels go up, you would eventually pass away. It was a, a gruesome way to die. And so Jesus, the night before he's betrayed, he knows what's going to happen the next day. And he redefines, I know you've been celebrating this Passover meal for generations and this whole unleavened bread. It now signifies something different, that there was no sin in my life and it was broken for you, Jesus said, fully God and fully human, that anybody could not just once a year when they would sacrifice the Passover lamb draw near to God, but you could forever draw near to God to be forgiven for any of the mistakes that you have. The wrongdoing, the brokenness, the guilt, the shame, the baggage could be surrendered, and that you could be freed, not just from the Egyptians, but from all of the sin and the brokenness in your life. Number one, Jesus redefines the Passover meal. Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus redefines the Passover lamb. We know last week we talked about that the sacrifices led to how we understood the, the crucifixion, the atoning sacrifice that covered up for all of our wrongdoing because of Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. Remember John 1, 29? It said, then the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we said that anybody in that culture, if you said, like, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world, that we knew and understood that everyone in that culture knew that that was the atoning sacrifice that you could draw near to God. And, And God had created a way in the Old Testament that anybody could. If you were rich, you gave like a bull. If you were really rich, you gave a lot of bulls. Solomon gave 700 If you were middle class, it might be the lamb or the goat. If you were poor, it was the dove. Jesus and his family sacrificed the dove because they were poor. So when he says, behold, the lamb of God, he's declaring that Jesus is going to be that sacrifice. But he's not just the sacrifice. He is going to fulfill the role of the Passover lamb. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. Paul in the New Testament writes this. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch. He says, because you know Jesus, everything changes. You're not the same anymore. The yeast represented the sin. He said, you can now live differently. Another way he writes is, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. In particular, in this passage, if you feel like you don't understand how broken I am, do you know who he's writing to in 1 Corinthians 5? The church in Corinth, like, this was a port city. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth, if you know what I'm saying. They worshiped the goddess Aphrodite, this pagan goddess of fertility. And you would do that by fornicating with the temple prostitutes. That was the type of culture he was in. And this particular chapter is actually about a young man in that church who had received Christ and then was bragging to his friends about how he had had relations with his mom, I'm not making this up. Now, you may be pretty broken, but I'm hoping we don't have that in the room right now. And they say to him, no longer live at the old. You don't need to brag about your mistakes because you can live differently. Why can you live differently? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's not just the lamb of God. He's the Passover lamb. And I want to show you the significance of that statement. So that you don't have to question or doubt God's provision and appointed time. 
He waited for a specific moment in time so you wouldn't have to question it. And, and to foreshadow it, for 1,500 years, 1,500 years, he gave them a festival leading up to that moment in time. And it wasn't down to the, to the, the year. It wasn't down to the month or even the week or the day. It was down to the hour, to the minute that he told you what was going to occur. And that's what I'd love to show you. You see, the Passover lamb was Jesus' atoning sacrifice for all of our wrongdoing and shame and guilt that could be forever forgiven and taken from us. And so if he redefined the Passover meal and he redefines what the Passover lamb is, we need to respond to that. And here's how we need to respond, like I started with and we're going to end with. We need to know that we're never alone in whatever we're facing. And he used his last words in the Gospel of Matthew to make sure you understood that. You see, I don't know why if we know the truth of the good news of Jesus, why some of us walk around without hope. Now, I know why, because we live in a broken and very dark world. And if that's you here, man, seek help. And I don't want you to say, pray, and all your, your life will be forever changed. No, that's not what we're saying at all. But I want to tell you, if you know God, have received his grace and forgiveness, the God that created the universe in six days is in your corner. And if you came in here with a tough battle in your life, a fight that you feel all alone in. Some of you, you feel like you should just give up hope. Some of you thought you would have met that person you're going to marry by now, and it has not worked out. Some of you have a broken relationship from a previous marriage, and you just feel like you have so much shame, and you should not live that way if you know Jesus. You could receive his grace and forgiveness and be forever changed. Some of us in here, we have things going on in our lives that we don't know how to tackle, and we don't understand we have God in our corner. The fight that we're in, if we're two toddlers bickering, fighting with one another, we got George Foreman in our corner that wants to come over and help us out. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that, to understand that you are never alone. Again, Jesus changed everything. It's no longer just bread. He redefined the Passover meal and the Passover lamb so that we could know we're never alone. Look at Matthew 27. Matthew 27, Jesus is going to the cross and going to be crucified. And this changes everything. He says in verse 20 or 45, what time was the Passover lamb slain again? I just want to track. Three o'clock, twilight. You may never have caught this in the New Testament. Verse 45 of Matthew 27, from noon until what time? Three in the afternoon. For almost 1,500 years. They had been celebrating the Passover by slaying the Passover lamb on that 14th day. And this animal will get what we deserve. He could have chosen any moment at any time. And he chose the specific moment in time when the high priest would have come out and would have slain the lamb. And then he would have said in a loud voice with all the people coming around that once a year they celebrate this at Jerusalem, to Telestai, it's paid in full all of your wrongdoing, the high priest is saying, it's a legal term, an accounting term. Your legal indebtedness had been expunged. Literally, they would take a sponge and they would blot out the ink. It would no longer exist. And as we studied last week in John 19, at those last words in, that John records, is that Jesus says to Telestai, what? It's paid in full. At what time? Three in the afternoon. So you wouldn't doubt God's provision and his plan from the Old Testament to New Testament, 14 to 1,500 years in the making. 
so that you could know whatever you're fighting today, he's right there with you and you don't have to doubt it. And if you don't believe me, look what the words that Matthew records of Jesus in one of his last words on the cross. About three in the afternoon again, I love it, at twilight, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Elah, Elah, Lama, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, you might go, so I, I thought that this was a life-changing thing. It is. Why is God forsaking him? Well, he's actually, it's a play on words. He's directly quoting Psalm 22. And if you ever go back and read it, the whole psalm is about how God is there with you, protecting you to fight your battle. And you're never alone. And so with his last words on the cross, it came at exactly three in the afternoon. He declares, I am the savior you have been waiting on. You will no longer feel alone or forsaken. And when you do, turn to me because I love you more than anyone else in this world does. When you've gone through broken relationship after broken relationship, I love you. I want to be with you. You are not alone in your fight. When you get such darkness in your life and you feel like there is no hope, you need to turn to me. Because I am with you in your battle. And as the last words on his cross, as he declares that to us today, that we could know that, skip down to verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And then check this out. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That may not seem significant, but you don't understand. Like for for 1,500 years, they had been traveling around with the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments were kept, and there was a giant box that would go with them before a battle, and it was where the presence of God resided. When they built him a building, literally Beth-El means temple or house of God, they built him a building, and the most holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and only the high priest could go in there once a year. And when he did, he had bells on his robe because if he messed something else up in the perfect presence of God... He would fall over dead, and they had a hook they would pull him out with. Because in our sinful brokenness, we can't be in the perfect presence of God. But because of the work, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, without any leaven, without any sin in his life, his body that was broken for us, for the forgiveness of our wrongdoing, we could draw near to him. And because of that work, he says, you're never alone again. And get this, the temple curtain tears in two because God's presence, his spirit, no longer resides in some building in a box. What does the New Testament teach us? That if you believe and receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, your, your body now is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That, that he can be with you in whatever you're facing. Do you get it, guys? Whatever you're facing right now, you're not alone. And he wanted you to know it. He gave his last words on it. The, the temple curtain towards it too. There's, a, there's an earthquake in the first fruits of the resurrection. Don't miss next weekend occurs. It's only recorded in Matthew 27 here. God is on the move. And he's still working all these years later. The book of Acts isn't just 2,000 years ago. It's today. I have seen and prayed with people just in the last couple of weeks that have all had radical life changes just within the last couple of months. We have seen people who were atheists or agnostic that surrendered their life to Jesus a year ago or two years ago or six months ago that are now leading, literally leading other people to the Lord. Why? Because it's not about us. The God is real. He's in our lives. He's ministering. And you came into this place and you just wanted to be encouraged and hopefully go out with a positive attitude. But I want to tell you that the presence of God is here and he wants to live in your life and through you. And he wants to use you. 
and have anything to do with like people on a stay has to do with God's presence in your life and that's what changes it do you realize that this church continues to grow I only preach like sometimes once or twice a month there's nothing special about a preacher or we rotate worship leaders all the time because we believe God is the one that changes lives not human beings and so please if you forget everything else this weekend I just want to encourage you the magnificent story of scripture that demonstrates the trustworthiness of God's great plan that anybody who is here today can know God live with him and never be alone in anything you're facing in this life will you pray with me God I thank you for all these people that came out in the snow today again and I just want to acknowledge that in a culture that won't sacrifice anything for anything but themselves these people came to to this space and I pray Lord Jesus I know there is at least one person in this room right now that doesn't know you but has been searching and if you want to change that you want to believe and receive God's grace and forgiveness his sacrifice for you as the perfect Passover lamb I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now I believe he is here I believe he knows you I believe he knows you have a perfect plan for your life it's a good plan so that's you if you want to receive Jesus fully I want to invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud God I confess that I need you forgive me for my wrongdoing I believe and receive your grace and forgiveness in my life. And I surrender everything to your Lordship. Use me. Use me. Thank you, God. Thank you. I believe if you just prayed that, God sees you. Talk to somebody today. Write it on a Connect card. Then for those that maybe are here today and you've been a Christian a while, but you're going through a season where you got a real battle in front of you, And you just needed to hear this morning that he's with you in whatever you're facing, even when you don't feel it. Maybe this morning your prayer isn't that you feel him, but that he carries you through whatever that dark thing you're fighting is. And then pray this with me. God, I pray in this moment right now, this thing that I'm facing, whatever it is, just tell him right now, not out loud. Just tell him what it is that you're facing in your life. May you carry me through this. May your presence reside fully in my life. I surrender these circumstances fully to you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's family said, amen.